Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. The evenings at 6.30 on Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. Got a great hour planned. Ron Deal is going to be coming onto the program in just a minute or so. And then Nancy Lee DeMoss Wogelmuth and Robert Wogelmuth will be coming on the program as well. So it's going to be a great hour. Don't budge. I'm looking at Psalm 95 in verse 1 and 2. It says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. I'd love to do music and song, but I can't sing. And so, and I don't think you want to hear banjo. So there you go. Let's take 60 seconds to bring on Ron Deal. Strengthen your faith and grow closer to God through the Faith Radio Prayer Devotional Email. It's a weekly message of prayer and encouragement that's also easy to share with others. Sign up for the prayer devotional email online at myfaithradio.com. Click on the subscriptions tab, fill out your information, and you'll start receiving the email. Be blessed and encouraged with the prayer devotional email. Facing the future with confidence because Jesus is our source. I think it just puts me at peace and calms me. Whatever's going on that day, it disappears and just relaxes. Encouragement and just hope and finding answers that you were looking for. It always seems to come out. That's what I needed that moment at that time. Daily reminders of our hope in Jesus Faith Radio. Welcome back. Ron Deal is the director of Blended Family Ministries at Family Life, director of uh, Family Life Blended, and probably one of the most uh, read authors on step family living in the country. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist and just an outstanding communicator. It's nice to have you back on the show, Ron. Hey, Bill. It's been too long. Thanks for having me back. I agree. So when it comes to this whole blending families, there certainly are going to be a lot of uh, children uh, thrust into a world of the steps. There's going to be step-mothers, step-dads, step-siblings, step-grandparents, and it doesn't always go seamless, does it? it well, yeah, no, it doesn't. I mean, is any family seamless? No, <laughs> especially, no such thing. Especially with, with Thanksgiving coming up, you know, it's you put a lot of people in a household, and even though they love each other, somebody's bound to <laughs> get crossed with somebody in the room. So, uh, yeah, blended families certainly have their share of, of challenges. You know, one of the things that I'm thinking a lot about lately, we just came out with a new book, uh, called the Smart Step Family Guide to Financial Planning, and I've been thinking a lot about the the intersection of step family relationships and money. And uh, here we sit at the holidays, and man, that's like a three way intersection. You ever you ever crossed a three way intersection? Like it's <laughs> you don't know who's going, and no. you know, it's easy to uh, to t bone somebody or get hit. 
And so I, I think that's probably true of step families as well. Mm-hmm. Ron, what happens when there is a, a new blended family? Someone comes into, let's say, an existing family, and there are certain uh, rules the way we discipline. There are certain rewards and consequences. There are certain traditions we have. Mm-hmm. And the person feels a little bit like on the outside looking in. Have you ever babysat somebody else's kids? <laughs> once. And, and, just yeah, once. And, yeah. And you think, uh, okay, I, I don't really know the rules. I don't really know the rituals. I don't really know how they get things done. Um, do they sing a little jingle when it's time to clean up the toys? <laughs> or, you know, it's, you really feel out of place. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, on day one, that's what step parenting is like. You're, you're, the new person on the scene trying to figure out how things work, the personalities of each child, um, the, the the parenting philosophy, if you will, of the biological parent, what your place is in that. What What's your philosophy? Maybe you already have kids of your own. Maybe you don't have any children of your own. So it's new territory any way you cut it. And that's, you know, very much the case. So you know, maybe the thought here is around the holidays, a, a newly blended family that's facing the holidays is facing lots of new questions. Like, how do you do those rituals and those traditions? And and how much money do you spend on each child for Christmas? And, you know, what's the history of how you do these things in your family? Who comes to the table? Who's this weird Uncle Charlie everybody keeps, keeps talking about? Um, there's a lot to learn for a step parent and for the step siblings and everything changes from their past and their rituals and their traditions. And it's like, wait a minute, do we lose all of ours and we just do it your way now? Or are we going to meet in the middle? Or do we do some of yours and some of ours? See, there's just lots of questions. You know, families within the first two or three years are still figuring out how to do those things. Blended mm-hmm. families beyond that typically have begun to settle in to some sort of a pattern. It doesn't mean that everybody's just as excited about it as everyone else. But we're beginning to figure out a few things. And that's really where you feel like you're getting some momentum as a family. And uh, that's the good stuff that you hold on and, and you know, uh, don't lose sight of. Yeah, it's probably safe to say in blended families, but other families as well, that there can be a struggle as to who to visit on Thanksgiving. Are we going to be with yeah. my family or your family? That's right. This is not too much unlike what happens with a couple who gets married and mm-hmm. they begin to think about, you know, the family of origin you came from and those traditions around holidays and my family's holidays. And are we going to be at your mother's for Thanksgiving or my, you know, my folks home? for th- You know, you still have lots of those questions and you're figuring out the boundaries. Ultimately, what's taking place is you're trying to figure out for that young couple how to leave and cleave, what that looks like to live that out around the holidays? How do we honor our parents and how do we um, at the same time have relationship with them and maintain connection with our family members and yet make sure you and I have an identity now in this new uh, intergenerational family that we've created? A blended family has to do all of that with the in-laws and the outlaws and figure out step relationships and step parenting and new rituals for the new blended family. It really is a lot to manage. You know, the reason we have Family Life Blended is because we want to try to help people understand and navigate all of that terrain because there is reward in the midst of it, but you do have to manage all of those little details. Otherwise, you get lost in the details. Mm -hmm. 
And so that's what we try to do. Yeah. Ron, does it make sense that if you're in a blended family and you make a suggestion and it doesn't go well, that there's a chance that you might withdraw a little bit and not make a <laughs> second suggestion? Sure. In particular, if you're feeling, uh, you know, closed off or you know, rejected, I guess would be the word. If you're feeling like this is personal, like they're not only saying no to my idea, they're saying no to me. Ooh, ouch. Yeah, that, those are those are two different things. And no to me is a whole lot more painful than no to my idea. Um, and by the way, it's hard to discern that. Like when you're an outsider trying to figure out how you fit in with a new group of people, again, relate this as something that you've already been aware of. You go to a new church, you don't know these people. You're trying to figure out where you belong. You, you step into a new social arena. You really don't know your place. You're tentative in how you go about that. And if you step out there and somebody says, eh, that's a bad idea. Well, yes, now you're more apt to to withdraw a little bit, be cautious and guarded. How do I how do I step back in? And, and I don't want any more pain. Those are delicate situations. Um, one of the things that I try to tell people, no matter who you are, a child, an adult, a grandparent, just try to be friendly. You don't have to necessarily love everybody in your expanded step family, you know, step family system, multiple households, multiple generations. You don't necessarily have to love everybody, but being friendly is the first step to navigating the uncomfortableness and figuring out how to then move into that space. Some people are looking at next week going, oh my goodness, five people are going to show up at dad's house that I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure I even want to be there. It's going to be weird. Right. Well, just go with an attitude of, I'm going to be friendly. I'm going to be a neighbor, as Jesus called us to do, to somebody else. And not that I'm venturing out there and sticking my heart out for somebody. I'm just going to start with that, and we'll see where it goes. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be fair if I hogged Ron Deal to myself here. I want to open up uh, the text line to uh, any listener that has a question about a blended family, maybe you need an answer to a question regarding your own blended family. Maybe you're new to a blended family and you want to ask Ron a question, let me know what it is. You can text me at 877-933-2484. Again, the number is 877-933-2484. And I'll ask uh, Ron a question on your behalf. And of course, you can remain anonymous. We'll be right back. sounds like a little bit of holiday music coming up Thanksgiving next week. And if you're a blended family, you might have a little tension because you don't know what's going to happen and you uh, may have some issues that keep popping up. If you have a question, let uh, let us know what it is. You can send us a text at 877-933-2484. Ron Deal is my guest. He's the uh, director of Blended Family Ministries at Family Life. And he's authored many books like the smart step family, the smart stepdad, the smart stepmom, dating in the single parent, and the smart step family marriage. She's got a lot of wonderful resources, so you definitely want to um, check him out. All right, what about this uh, listener named Roberto? Said, how do you handle the money when it has strings attached? 
Yes. <laughs> That's a great question, Roberto. I love it. Um, like I said, uh, just dove into uh, a project about three years ago, and the book just came out in September, The Smart Step Family Guide to Financial Planning. Let me let me tell you, Bill, what we did. It sounds like the beginning of a bad joke. Uh, right. a family a family therapist, that's me, a certified financial planner, that's Greg, and an, an estate attorney, that's David, all walk into a book. <laughs> um, it may be the beginning of a bad joke, but it turned out to be a good book. Like we, we put our collective wisdom together. Those guys are money guys. They know about the law and legal aspects and financial you know, trusts and things you can create to provide for your family when after you pass away, like all kinds of things. And I, and but we integrated the relationship dynamic right alongside it. And Roberto's question nails it. There are always strings attached, meaning what's above the surface is money. What's below the surface is what it means. Right. Uh, so it's, you know, imagine grandparents who are new step grandparents as well, and they've always given $50 gifts to all the grandchildren. But because they don't really know their step-grandchildren, you know, it's kind of like, I don't even know them. We're going to get one day with them. They spend 20 bucks on each kid, right? What's the message? What's the string tied to that use of money? Well, what it seems to say is we value these kids more than those kids. Mm -hmm. It gets down to values. It gets down to trust. It gets down to relationship and how much I really want to be connected to you. Um, it also gets down to power. Like it could be Roberto's question. He's going, okay, well, we don't want our kids to have mobile phones, smartphones yet till they get to be a certain age. But our children go to another home, and I think at Christmas this year they're all going to get phones. Like what now do we do? Like right. our parenting has been stolen out from under us. Our boundaries around what we value why we didn't want the kids to have phones, what we think that's going to do for their hearts and their minds and influence their spiritual walk with the Lord. Like all of that's tied in to why you were deciding not to get the kid. Well, now what do you do if the other home gets them a phone? I mean, all of this is, it's never as easy as it sounds, right? And, and so it requires complex questions, requires some complex answers. And it's not always straightforward. In a situation like that, you might call the other home. Your co-parent relationship is what you would utilize to call the other home and say, hey, uh, can we talk through this phone thing? Can we talk through some boundaries? Um, hey, we're going to buy them. OK, you're going to buy them. I get that. I understand it. But can we talk about how they might be used? You know, um, With grandparents, I've had to coach many people through the years to have that awkward conversation where, we, where somebody calls their own grandparents, excuse me, calls their parents, you know, the uh, the biological parent is calling their parent to say, listen, I need you to spend the same amount of money on all the kids. Uh, I need you to invest a little of your time and energy around the holidays with stepchildren as well as the biological children. Yeah, absolutely. We, we want you to have time with the bio grandkids that you know and love and you've got a history with. But please join us in extending some friendliness to those step grandkids because they're watching and they would like to be included. And the message that it sends is very important. Mm -hmm. Right. Here's another question. This um, listener would prefer just to remain anonymous. I was raised in a blended family starting in the sixties. 
I'm only figuring out now the impact that it had on mm. me. How does oh. an adult make sense of what happened way back in childhood? It never felt like a real family. Well, obviously they're doing some reflection. My guess is their current relationships are leading them to reflect on the past. That that happens with all of us. You know, whatever's happening now, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, always makes you reflect on what was different than the now back when you were growing up. And and so it does kind of help you mature into a perspective about your past. And I would say pray about it. Invite the Lord to go, you know, show me the layers of how this impacted me that I'm not even aware of really consciously, but I need to become aware of them because there's always that, that layer of residue that we carry with us from our past. Even if we came from healthy families, nobody comes from a perfect family. And so you know, there's always something that we learned. I, I'll give you an illustration from my own life. Uh, my parents were married 61 years before my mom passed away. They didn't have a perfect marriage. When they had conflict as I was growing up, they did it very quietly and it kind of like they disappeared into other rooms and had conversations and then somehow emerged and there was an answer and they moved forward. And I never really saw the process of how conflict was managed at all. Now, it was a peaceful experience for me because I didn't see conflict. I didn't get pulled into the middle of it, but I also didn't learn how to manage it. So even though I had a peaceful childhood, when I got married, I didn't have a clue about how to do conflict, which so that the residue, even though it was a positive residue, it had a negative side to it. Uh, walking through life is learning more about ourselves, inviting the Lord through the Holy Spirit to show us what it is, what there is in us from the past and how we need to look at that and perhaps reshape some of it more into the image of Christ. Mm-hmm. Great story. Um, but I also understand how the childhood was a little bit more peaceful, but you missed out on the whole modeling conflict sort of yeah. experience. There's, yeah, there was a there's a downside to the upside. <laughs> yeah, oh for sure. So another uh, question that came in: How can you develop healthy boundaries with the co-parent if that parent has proven themselves untrustworthy or possibly dishonest? Okay, excellent question. And w- what I would say is. You don't have to be dumb. I don't think there's anything in Scripture that tells us to be dumb, to trust people who are untrustworthy, to expect irresponsible people who have proven that, not just once, everybody makes this mistake, not just twice, but somebody who has proven a pattern of irresponsibility. It's unreasonable to expect unreasonable people to be reasonable. Can I say that again? (laughs) Yeah, please do. It is unreasonable to expect unreasonable people to become reasonable. Love it. Like, you can learn from the past. In other words, um, <laughs> what, what, what's that old political phrase? We're going to trust but verify. Exactly. Uh, so, so we're going to make plans with the other household about the holidays, for example, but we're not going to assume it's actually going to happen. We're going to live and do our part and, and live with integrity and with virtue and character. But we've also learned that we need a backup plan because you're untrustworthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may need to have options B, C, and D ready to go because we, it has been proven that you know what we think is going to happen is probably not going to happen. Uh, your word is not your bond, and therefore we're going to plan accordingly. 
Now, I think we should always, here's the flip side of this. I think we should always leave the door open on the possibility that the Holy Spirit can work even in, a, in the life of somebody you really abhor, <laughs> that the Holy Spirit can eventually do something different in them. And, and so don't close the door on hope for that. Mm. But you don't have to lean in too far. Yeah, that's great wisdom, Ron. Once again, so uh, this boundaries issue is always going to be one of the biggest, hottest topics, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It is. And at some point, I think you have to say no. I think you have to say something that you know is going to irritate the other household because you know what they're made of. Uh, And you choose your battles very carefully, uh, especially in co-parenting relationships, because there's a kid in the middle somewhere. And so you really want to be sure that this hill is worth dying on or taking a bullet on uh, on behalf of your child. So don't be indiscriminate about that. But every once in a while, I think it's okay to 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 set a boundary to say something that the other person is not going to be happy with. But mm-hmm. you're doing that out of, again, it's out of integrity. It's even out of love. Like, you know, I, I'm not, because I love you, I'm not going to say yes to something that is a poor decision. Um, because I love our child. I'm not going to say yes to something that is a poor decision or unwise. So in those cases, that's worth taking a hit over. Um, Otherwise, you know, if you can accommodate to some degree, if you can sacrifice something in order to keep the peace, I think that's okay. But I said something recently and it caught fire and went went viral. And so I'll say it again here. If you are one of those persons who keeps peace at all costs, then you need to understand you are going to experience all costs. Uh, People will take advantage of you. If you are a peacemonger, no, peace at all costs, then you're going to experience all the costs. Jesus didn't do that. I mean, there's lots of times in the in the Gospels where Jesus said no to people, where he, he irritated them over what they wanted for him, and he said, nope, that's not why I'm here, or nope, that's not right. Or, uh, no, Peter, it's not that way. It's this way. Like, to his friends, to his enemies, he was the same. He loved, he set, um, you know, wisdom for the what the, is the kingdom of God and how we should behave within it. And sometimes that meant irritating people or disappointing people. But it was all done out of a, a spirit of, of righteousness and, and love and pursuing truth. Mm-hmm. I think we can do the same. Yeah. Ron, you're such a um, gift to blended families. So thank you for the work you do, because family dynamics is never easy. And it is so important that there is good resources out there that can help families. So thank you very much. Well, we we do want to help. Come see us, familylife.com. Familylife.com is the website. And Ron Deal has been my guest. Um, Ron, have a great Thanksgiving. And to you as well. Thank you so much. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we'll be joined by uh, Nancy DeMoss Wogelmuth and Robert Wogelmuth. They've written a book called You Can Trust God to Write Your Story, Embracing the Mysteries of Providence. We'll be right back.
I am awfully glad to be inviting onto the show Nancy DeMoss Wogamuth. You know her from Revive Our Hearts and her husband, Robert, who's been in the media business for a long time, former president of Thomas Nelson Publishers and owner of Wogamuth and Associates. Can you say power couple? That's the first <laughs> couple of thoughts that come to mind. Welcome, both of you. Thank power you, Bill. Couple. I have to start. We're ordinary couple, Bill. We're not power. Yeah. Couple. All right. I have to. Friends. I have to start by delivering some mail. Can I do that real quick? Okay. Sure. I'm, I'm supposed to say hi to you from Ron Deal. I just had him on the show. We just uh, heard him sign off, and we, and we were getting on, and I just texted him and said, "Ron, just <laughs> heard your voice, and he is such an important part of our story. So, how fun is that 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 we would intersect here this evening?" Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Ron's an yeah. incredible resource and just such a great guy. And yes, yeah, I didn't know he intersected with your story. Do you want to start with that before we uh, get to the go book? Go ahead, honey. Yeah, sure. So this is the week before we got engaged, Bill. And Nancy and I spent two days with Bill in Little Rock. With Ron. With Ron, sorry, with Ron in Little Rock. (laughs) And it was, what, honey, almost 12 hours of uh, counseling. Wow. And um, he did our premarital counseling. Yeah, brutal and gruesome and so forth. I mean, it was hard. It was hard. Honey, it was precious. It was (laughs) precious. That's what I said. That's what I meant to say. Yeah. Well, I, I just, yeah. the whole idea of being in a room with Ron Deal for 12 hours is kind of daunting. Yeah. You know what? He was so wise oh, he was and so, so wise. helpful. And yeah, he specializes, as you know, in blended families. And we weren't sure we really needed that. But we were so grateful for the grace God gave us and the things he helped us to anticipate. Me marrying for the first time at age 57 and Robert marrying after his wife of uh, 40, almost 45 years had gone to be with the Lord. So... Uh, you know, we were we were ready to get engaged. We were ready to wanting to get eager to get married. But Ron really helped us think through some some important things. So we can't recommend his work highly enough. Yeah, I'm with absolutely you. Absolutely right. Now, yeah, the, that's really true. Yeah. Now the two of you have written uh, all kinds of books on your own, but this is your first book together. So I want to hear about that. Yes. The book, of course, for listeners, with a forward by Johnny Erickson, is uh, "You Can Trust God to Write Your Story: Embracing the Mysteries of Providence." So yeah, this is a this is a, a book deal we decided to get started on maybe a year, maybe not even that, into our marriage, <clears throat> and because the wheels of publishing grind very slowly, it was actually another two years before we started writing the manuscript. <clears throat> and um, you know, we had a uh, maybe a hard conversation in the kitchen the night before we started doing this writing. Um, you know, Nancy and I had, I mean, we knew each other really well. Our marriage, we believe, is strong and, and Christ centered, and we love each other like crazy, and things are good. But you did, you take on a project like that, and it's, I've said, it's like wallpapering the kitchen with your wife or playing devil's tennis, and you're on the same side. You know, you're, you're, you're faced with some real challenges, and it's a lesson in patience and grace. And so we decided to tackle the manuscript starting the next day. And at the end of that day, we exchanged what we had written. And ta-da! I mean, it wasn't perfect. It's, it's always far from perfect, certainly in the early drafts. But we looked at each other and said, you know, we can do this. So, and it really started out talking about our story of God bringing our lives together and through not just good and easy times, but times of loss, times of pain, and unexpected 
twists and turns in our the script of our lives. But as we got into it, we realized that people didn't just need to hear about our story. They right. needed to hear about God's story and the story he was writing in others' lives. And so we took um, the better part of that year to interview close friends of ours who are in different seasons where it's hard to trust God to write your story. And when you long for a mate or when you long for a different mate than the one you have, or you lose everything financially, or you've got prodigal children, um, and to find that in each of these, and every case that comes into our lives, we really can trust that God is good, God is wise, God is sovereign, He knows what He's doing, He doesn't make mistakes, and we really can trust Him and His goodness, His, His providence, His care for us. We can trust Him to write that story. So it became a, 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 a book about what that looks like, what it means, and how, what that difference it makes in our lives when we do. Now, I love that in the book, um, R- Robert's story is told by you, Nancy, and Nancy's story is told by Robert. So when you finally looked at each other's drafts of that, how did that, how did that feel? <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> uh, you know what, no, we it, just... Go ahead, honey. No, it, um, you know, it's, you, you take a, a book manuscript, a body at a time, and we had laid it out pretty carefully where the outline was going to go. And so, I mean, to be perfectly honest, and we might as well be perfectly honest here, it's just you and us, right? Right. <laughs> uh, I love I love Nancy's story. I love the story of her dad who uh, came to faith a little bit later in life, late 20s, early 30s. And um, and he was he was a two-fisted drinker and a gambler, and the Lord changed his life dramatically. And so Art DeMoss spent the rest of his life preaching the gospel as a layman. Oh, wow. Preaching the gospel, traveling traveling to Latin America. In fact, when Nancy and I go to Latin America, it's not uncommon for us to bump into somebody. In fact, the last time we were there, there was an elderly woman in her 80s, and she remembers hearing Arturo preach, Art DeMoss <laughs> preach. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's really, so, and I love Nancy's family. She was, she's one of seven. She's the oldest of seven. So her mother has been widowed for 40 years. Wow. Her daddy went to heaven as a young man, 52 years old. All right. So uh, I love her story. And yeah. I loved writing her story. Oh, I bet. Now, Nancy, how about you giving us a little um, preview of Robert's story? <laughs> Well, and again, uh, at our season of life, there are lots of chapters to your story. And if we were to write our own stories, they'd probably look quite different. And sometimes we get the mistake of thinking that we can we could write our story better than God can. Mm-hmm. Or it seems like maybe he fell asleep at the switch. Uh, but Robert, uh, we, we talk in this in different chapters of this book about how uh, Robert, coming, both of us being blessed to come from godly families. We're so grateful for that. But being in a godly being a godly person or in a godly family doesn't exempt us from hard things. So Robert there's a, a section in here about Robert losing his business. And like, you know, one day it's gone. And and the, the implications that has for your family that to move out of their house, get back their car, pull a daughter out of private education. And uh, but how God you look back in the rearview mirror, and you yeah. see that God was faithful. He provided. Uh, he met your needs, um, not always in the way that you would have expected. We talk about Robert, um, the day he learned that his wife had uh, stage 4 ovarian cancer, 
and the journey they walked through for two and a half years of battling that beast. And then the Lord saying it's time and taking her home. And Robert, you know, I've heard him talk about standing over that. Of course, I knew Robert professionally. Um, He's a literary agent and I write books. So we had had some um, professional um, done some work together and I knew Bobby, I knew his wife. And, and even to think how God writes your story to know that, to find out as we were two months into dating that before she died, Bobby told two people that she hoped that Robert would marry Nancy Lee DeMoss, <laughs> but she never told him. Oh, so wow. you say, okay, you know, is this, okay, that's really sweet, but it's not coincidence. It's not happenstance. That's right. That's it's right. God writing your story. And when you look back, you can see, wow. What he was doing was amazing. But I want to say, Bill, it's not just about us. Um, We have sweet parts and hard parts to both of our stories. But we've walked with, um, I I just did an interview this afternoon for Revive Our Hearts with a woman who um, has, for 15 years, had a prodigal son that they had adopted at the age of nine. And the, the anguish of walking through these years. We have friends walking through that. We were in the hospital yesterday and visited with a longtime friend of mine who was dying of cancer and um, just in anguish and excruciating pain. And this morning we got the news that he was with the Lord. Mm. Well, this bone cancer is not at all. We were with his, his now widow yesterday afternoon with his wife, with his grown son and daughter. And this is, it's hard. There are tears. It's painful. This is a broken world, but this family knows, and we know, and we affirm that this God is not absentee in all of this, that at the end of the day, you lean into the fact that God is good. God knows what he's doing. He's writing your story, and hard as it is, we know that the day will come, and we will look back, and we will say, Lord, you did all things well. I couldn't have scripted this as beautifully and powerfully as you have. Oh, that's so encouraging. And I know you offer so much hope in this book, which I love. And I go to chapter four and that chapter is you can trust God when your marriage is in trouble. And a nice little quote from Larry Crabb was one of my favorite people in the whole world. Yeah. We, as Nancy said, we had the privilege of interviewing many people, all of whom we know. So we didn't like, do some secret poll of people and ask them to submit their stories. These are people, in most cases, we have tracked along with whatever they've told us about that we put in in this book. So the marriage is in trouble. In fact, one of the important things for our listeners to realize is that not every one of these chapters, in fact, most of them, don't end, and they lived happily ever after. Mm-hmm. It's many Many of them are still in the middle of their struggle, and yeah. they are day by day, taking a deep breath and saying, Lord Jesus, we trust you. We trust you with this story. So um, a prodigal. We were with a woman last night. I'm sorry, honey. No, that's okay. Well, we were with a woman last night at dinner who is in this book under another name. Lauren is the name in the book. And her husband was a pastor who inexplicably checked out of their marriage and just totally caught her off guard, left, never came back. And we, I met her a year or so ago, and she came to hear me speak, and she came up afterwards, introduced herself, told me her story. And she said, I'm just reeling. I don't know what God 
how I don't know what to do. I don't know what my future is, what my life might look like. I want to serve the Lord. I don't know how I can do that. Fast forward, God has not restored that marriage. But um, and as I as I recall, he he remarried somebody else. Um, but here she is last night, and she's becoming one of the volunteer ambassadors for our ministry so that she can minister into the lives of other hurting women. I mean, you know, that's not the way you would want the story. It's not the way you would script it. But we were with her last night. And, honey, wouldn't you say she has, like, there's a peace? There's a, yeah, that, you know, God is writing her story and her children's story who had to walk through this horrific thing with her. It's, It's the power of trust. You know, you, we, we trust in a sovereign God who loves us and gave himself for us, as the scripture says. And and even though we can't see, there's an old song, if we could see beyond today as God can see, uh, we can't, but he can. And so because he can, because we know that he loves us and wants, uh, wants what's best for us under his providence, we take a deep breath in spite of the pain and we trust him. Hmm. It's beautiful. I'm going to tell you one fun story oh, about um, yeah, one is that good. is ending well. I mean, it, all will end well for those who trust him and let him write the story. But one of the stories in this book about when you long for a mate was written by a longtime assistant of mine who is 53 years old. I just turned 54, I think. And she has longed for God to give her a mate, but the Lord has not seen fit to do that. So hers was one of the stories that we wrote about in this chapter on trusting God when you long for a mate. Long story short, or fast forward to Uh right as the book was coming out just a couple of months ago, God brought a widowed pastor into her life. And I just left the office, just held her hand and prayed with her because a week from tomorrow, Thanksgiving Day, she is getting married. (laughs) And we didn't even, that's not even included in the book because here's one of the things that I remember. It's not over yet. Right. God's still writing your story. And so here when we had her in this book, the this, this story was God hasn't given her a mate, but here's how she's choosing to trust God. You know, God doesn't give everyone a mate who longs for one. God doesn't bring back every mate or every prodigal child. But just a beautiful reminder that God is still writing good and beautiful stories, and he can do it for any one of us. Yeah. Fantastic. Nancy DeMoss-Wogelmuth and Robert Wogelmuth are my guests. They've written a book uh, called You Can Trust God to Write Your Story, Embracing the Mysteries of Providence. Let me take uh, 90 seconds. We'll be right back. My guests are thinkers and authors and lovers, and they're on the line together with me, Nancy DeMoss Wogelmuth and Robert Wogelmuth. And I, as I go through your book, I, I, I know that there's times when it's easier to go back to the, the eternal and to the idea that it's God's story when you're talking about somebody else. But all of a sudden, when it's happening to you, it's a little bit more challenging, isn't it? Oh, that's so true. That is so true. You know, it's somebody said minor surgery is what happens to other people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. My friend just had minor surgery. Me, I'm going in for the big one. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. Um, it's absolutely right. And so that's why that's why you cling to what you know. 
because our feelings are so fickle. They're so mm-hmm. uncertain. And so, you know, as a man thinks, so is he. It's the renewing of your mind. All those things that don't necessarily bypass feelings, but when we get down, when we think there's no hope, those are those are feelings and those are fleeting. So we take comfort in the knowledge of our relationship with Christ and what, what he uh, gives us as a result of that relationship. So, yeah, it, and, and you know, the people, Nancy and I, when we finish one of these conversations that turns into a chapter of one of, uh, one of the chapters of the book, we look at each other and say, these people have given us a priceless gift, and we have to be good stewards of these stories. People were opening their hearts, lots and lots of tears during the conversation. In fact, the, the chapter, um, when you're facing death, uh, a longtime friend of Nancy's had been with her in the ministry for 30 years, uh, dying of prostate cancer, and we visited with he and his wife, kind of like the story we mentioned early in this in this uh, conversation. And uh, three weeks after we visited with them, he was in heaven. We were at his funeral. So, but I had a chance. This is different than than the story of yesterday because that man was really sick in terms of not being able to communicate well. But the man we met with, John Reford was very lucid and we sat in his living room and his feet were up on a recliner and we sat right close to him and Tammy, his precious wife was close by. And so I was able to say, John, what does this feel like? And we're going to put your story in this book. And what would you like to say to people pretending that they're sitting here listening to you? What would you like to say about what it's like to go through this kind of devastating thing to know Christ? And how can you give us hope? Give me hope. Uh, not going through it now, but you are. And so we need to learn from you. And so these people would open their hearts to us. And so we felt like we had to be good stewards of this treasure that these people had given to us. And it's really true. These stories are just transformational. You know, you talk about us going through it, and it's easier maybe to watch somebody else going through it. But the way we respond when our lives are upended when we're going through a storm, when we're facing a crisis, and it happens to all of us, um, the way we respond in those circumstances reveals what we really believe about God. Do we believe that God is wise? Do we believe that he cares? Do we believe that he knows that he's ordained uh, as Psalm 139 says, every all my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. And I believe that this good, faithful God is in control of the, every molecule, every part and part particle of this universe and of my story. Um, or does my response say that I believe I'm in control, or chance is in control, fate is in control, or nobody's in control? Um, you know, we're we're showing the world what we believe about God when we whine rather than worship. When we are, this is there's been a huge spike in our day, especially among um, Gen Zers and Millennials, but even older Boomers like us. There's a huge spike in anxiety, and depression, and even suicidal ideation. And I believe there are lots of reasons for that. Lots of circumstances. There's so much brokenness. So much dysfunction in families and pain. It's, it's a broken world. But ultimately, this high incidence of um, anxiety and depression is a whole generation that really doesn't believe deep down 
that God is good and wise and faithful and can be trusted. So that's where we've got to go to the word, not to the world, to get our, you know, our, our theology, our understanding of God. And, the, and God uses these trials to draw us closer to himself mm-hmm. if we'll let him. And so you say it happening to you is a lot harder. Of course it is. Uh, but it's through this uh, that we come to find out how very real God is and that he is everything he says he is and that he really can be trusted. Mm-hmm. And real life stories are, they're so readable. You, you start mm-hmm. on the page and you go, you're, you turn pages as fast as you can. I mean, Nancy, oh. you came alongside a mom who was really fighting for the for a, a teenage daughter. And I know this is going to um, get a lot of people's attention listening. This is on in your book on page 147. It says, your heart, too, may be breaking over a son or daughter or a grandchild who's being held captive by Satan's lies. You cannot open his eyes. You cannot turn her heart. You cannot make him or her believe that God's ways are good and right and true and that Christ is the all-surpassing treasure, far more valuable than anything the world holds out as desirable. You yeah, can't... and that's the couple we were talking yeah. with there. They came to realize that, this, and their, their young adult child is still far from God and in a very dark lifestyle. And the thing they came to realize was, first of all, you cannot change your child's heart. And number two, it's not your responsibility to fix your child. But here's what they told us. You can't quit. Number three, you can't quit. You Mm -hmm. keep praying. You keep loving. You keep being available when God turns their hearts, but realizing it's not up to you. Ultimately, you can not only trust God to write your own story, but you can trust God to write the story of that one Mm -hmm. that you love who is so far away. And that gives hope and comfort. But you both know all too well well that there's a lot of semi-tortured people out there that feel like it's their fault and they messed up and they didn't do it right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's a relentless taskmaster. You cannot, you can't, you can't release yourself from that. The Lord has to to do that to give you a great sense of his forgiveness for past sins. I mean, the blood of Christ is a real thing. Um, So, and one of my favorite parts of the book, Bill, is that we've taken Bible characters, Bible stories. You snap the lens of providence on the story of Esther and Ruth and Naomi and Mary and Joseph and Joseph in the Old Testament. And you see that those people, that those are real stories, true stories. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what was going to happen. Joseph mm-hmm. is in the pit thinking that's it. That's the end of his life. We read the story. We know the end. We know God meant it for good. And I mean, you meant it, you got, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. But he didn't know it at that point. Mm-hmm. And so not just contemporary stories, but biblical stories with this providence, great, sense of providence, God knowing what he's doing, God being good. We don't know what the windshield is going to hold, but we do know in the rearview mirror that we can trust that what has happened to us and what is happening to us is for our good and for his, his, in his favor and love. And that is uh, so powerful, so comforting. And I love that you have all these biblical illustrations in the book as well. I mean, I love the the ones that you have come alongside with. And then I also, I love, I love the format. This book, it's a great book. Thank you. Well, we're just hopeful that God will use it to, he already is. Uh, People are saying to us, we want to give this to someone who just lost their mate. We want to give this to someone who's going through this or that hard time. And here's the thing. You don't have to be going through a hard time to need a book like this. uh, Because if you don't start when things are going well, believing that God can be trusted 
to write your story. Then when you get into that pit or that hard place, you're going to say, you know, chuck it, God. I'm not interested in, in you writing my story. So learning who God is and that he can be trusted and that his providence is a good thing in our lives um, that is what prepares us for the inevitable storms of life. Yeah. That's right. So what are you guys doing for dinner? <laughs> We've already had dinner, but oh, you already have? Tried. Okay. <laughs> yes, because because we were going to talk to you during dinner time. Oh, nice, nice. So you <laughs> ate in advance, huh? Yes, we, we did. did. Yes, we did. We're early, yeah. early evening people. And then That's you guys right. go to bed early? Well, well, you're talking to two of us <laughs> One now, of us right? does. <laughs> One of us does. I'm guessing Nancy goes to bed early. Wrong. You, you had a 50 50 chance. I know, I took it. I rolled wrong. the dice, I was wrong. <laughs> you were wrong. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly. one of the things uh, Ron Deal, back to him on blended marriages and preparing for marriage, that's the kind of thing that people like him can help you think in advance. How are you going to handle this when you get married? And we said, we'll figure it out. Yeah. And we did. And yeah. by wonderful. God's grace, we have. Just came to Absolutely. four years, and we're yeah. so thankful for yeah. God well, helping us through those. Those crazy differences. Thank you for this wonderful, wonderful time together. My guests have been Nancy Damas Wogelmuth and Robert Wogelmuth. Their book is You Can Trust God to Write Your Story, Embracing the Mysteries of Providence. That wraps up our show for the night. As you lay your head on the pillow tonight, know that God is working out his great, great story in your life. Have a great night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.